wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast, episode 67. 20 insomnia pretenders. Don't get me wrong. Welcome everyone to the Sleep Unplugged podcast. My name is Chris Winter. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist and your host for what should be a fun episode of the podcast. It is the first Monday of October. So that means we are doing an insomnia episode. We always do insomnia episodes first Monday of every month. I thought a good idea came to me sometime a couple of weeks ago would be, let's talk about disorders that might present or look like insomnia, but really be something else. So I sat and thought about 20 of these and we'll talk about them in this episode. So if you're somebody who is struggling with insomnia, perhaps thinking about having one of these disorders might help you understand what you're going through a little bit better. So really excited that you're here. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a veteran of the show, welcome back. This promises to be a interesting one, I think. So before we get started, if you'd like to communicate with the show, if, if there's a big disorder that kind of looks like insomnia that I've forgotten, you can DM us, DR Chris Winter Instagram, DR Chris Winter TikTok, DR Chris Winter Twitter, Blue Sky Threads. We're all over the place there. So it's D-R-C-H-R-I-S-V-N-T-E-R. Follow and you can DM me. Uh, your questions, comments, criticisms, etc. We also have a YouTube page where we post all of our videos of our content and you can find them all on there if that's the way you like to consume your content. And you can always leave messages on the YouTube channel. I'll look at those as well too. Two books, The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It, as well as The Rested Child. And for music lovers, you know, at the beginning of each show, we talk about different music and how it relates to the topic we have at hand. Today's a good one. And if you're interested in listening to the music that we've talked about, I've compiled two Spotify playlists. If you look up Sleep Unplugged on Spotify under playlists, you can find volume one and volume two. Uh, they're the songs that we talk about on the show. So I think that's it. So we'll start the show with a listener question. It's from Aaron. Aaron wrote, hello, I finished listening to The Rested Child. Before that, I listened to The Sleep Solution. In The Rested Child, you made a comment that you've seen cases where a child had a bite issue corrected and subsequently developed sleep apnea. As a teen, my husband had his bite issue overcorrected. Since then, his bite is such that his front teeth stack on top of each other um, he is a noisy, erratic mouth breather in his sleep. And I'm wondering now if his bite could be the issue. And she asked, you know, who would one typically see about that? And there's lots of options there just to answer that question. Uh, sleep specialist, ENT, dentists, there are all kinds of individuals that could give you expertise about that. And yes, if you think about a bite where your front teeth and bottom teeth kind of connect, you know, you can have an overbite. You know, you can have the underbite where um, uh, more like kind of like the, I always say like the bulldog, kind of the jaw sticking forward. So as you correct that that underbite and bring the jaw backwards, you're creating less space for oral contents in your tongue, et cetera. So as you push those things back and kind of line the bite up, you can create a compromised airway. So that's sort of the trade-off. And so you want somebody who understands that 
to, to be doing the surgery. So can it happen? It can. I've certainly seen it. I've seen lots of people um, who've had bites corrected and then developed you know, at that point or later on some sort of breathing disturbance. So easy to have a sleep study to determine if there is airway obstruction going on and plenty of experts out there that can help with that. And, you know, the, the opposite is often a treatment for sleep apnea in very severe cases, you know, jaws can be broken, the mandible advanced or moved forward to create more space for the oral contents, um, you know, tongue, et cetera. So thank you very much for uh, for supporting my books and and uh, listening to the podcast. And I hope that was helpful. So today's title, Insomnia Pretenders Don't Get Me Wrong, is actually a double reference. So Don't Get Me Wrong is a song by the pretenders. So I thought we're talking about things that pretend to be insomnia. We need to talk about Chrissy Hind and the pretenders. Chrissy Hind is one of my favorite people in music, and, and we'll talk about that just a little bit. So Don't Get Me Wrong was a, a big song off of their fourth album, Get Close, came out in 1986. I think it surprises a lot of people just how few albums the Pretenders really cranked out in their heyday. Um, so, I, and I'm, like I said, huge fan of the Pretenders. Their first album, Brass and Pocket, was a massive smash and really epitomized Chrissy's sort of feminine sort of behavior, but also this sort of tough image that she cultivated really like nobody else in, in rock and roll. Um, and as a connoisseur of the F word, which I try not to use on the show, I think I've slipped once or twice. My favorite use of the F word happens in Precious, which was a song off of her first album. I mean, just so such a great contrast if you listen to those lyrics and it's great um so anyway uh so this the song don't get me wrong was actually written about john McEnroe, the tennis player and i love the video because in the video she recreates the show the avengers the spy drama and she plays the emma peel role which was made famous by the late great dame diana rigg who was the uh, actress who played Emma Peel. She was also in Game of Thrones and she was excellent in that as well too. Chrissy Hyde, just to really quickly, got to say that this is a woman that was just always around musicians right before they got big. I mean, she almost got Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols to marry her so she could stay in, 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 in London he kind of backed out at the last minute because he had to be in court. Sid Vicious stepped in and said, maybe I'll do it, but something prevented him from doing it. She was good friends with Mick Jones and could very well have been the lead singer of The Clash, but she was kind of, she kind of left and then he hooked up with Joe Strummer. I mean, she had encounters with Culture Club and there is an urban legend, which I can't hear it, but if you listen to U2's Pride in the Name of Love, she's apparently one of the backing singers. So she was just always interacting with people right before they got famous. And then she got massive with uh, her first album, Pretenders, and just a uh, fantastic artist. And, and we'll put some of her uh, music on the show. We'll put on Don't Get Me Wrong, but also from the second album, it's called Pretenders 2, which had Message of Love, which is a great song. There's also a song called I Go to Sleep. And I think we have to put that on there as well too.
So let's get into it. The sleep masqueraders, the sleep pretenders, what things could be going on with you causing insomnia, I should say insomnia, not necessarily sleep, that are really not what we would call primary insomnia. So we'll make that distinction that these are all sort of secondary causes of insomnia or something that would look like insomnia. And, and the first one, I think drugs, I'm going to run through them very quickly because I want to keep the show relatively short. Steroids are a big one, cause a lot of disturbances with sleep. So you're taking steroids for an uh, inflammatory disorder, poison ivy, you know, respiratory illness, COVID. Uh, these things cause a lot of sleep disturbance, a lot of awakening during the night, a lot of restlessness. So we'll put steroids at the top of the list. Cold and allergy medications, particularly ones with pseudoephedrine can, can dramatically affect sleep. Statins that individuals might take for cholesterol cause a lot of discomfort and muscle pain, which could fragment and cause sleep problems. Asthma medications can cause excitability, uh, vigilance, uh, heart palpitations, blood pressure pills, ACE inhibitors don't necessarily affect sleep, but often cause a little bit of a dry cough. So we can certainly see sleep disruption with that. Beta blockers often reduce melatonin and can cause some significant nightmares in some people. Um, drugs that we use to treat Alzheimer's disease, uh, Aricept being one of them, acetylcholinesterase inhibitors can often be stimulating and create agitation. Now, we'll talk a little bit later in the show about those individuals exhibiting agitation anyway. So that can be sort of a double whammy. Drugs for depression, SSRIs and SNRIs. Um, Prozac, Paxil, Citalopram, things of that major effects are, uh, can cause sleep continuity issues and often delay REM sleep. And when we do evaluations of patients with narcolepsy, we often want to be cognizant of that because if we're looking for sleep onset REM periods that we talked about in our narcolepsy ep episode of the MSLT, these medications can actually suppress that. Pain medications can cause all kinds of issues related to sleep, including breathing disturbances. So they could not only masquerade as insomnia, but could almost masquerade as sleep apnea or dramatically worsen sleep apnea. Uh, Flomax, a medication that people might take for prostate enlargement or frequent urination at night, uh, can suppress REM sleep. Stimulants for obvious reasons. And the last one I'll put on there is benzodiazepines, clonazepam, Valium. These drugs often really suppress deep sleep and can make people feel kind of rotten the next day, even though they may actually increase sedation. So that's number one, drugs. Number two, sleep apnea. And we've talked about sleep apnea in several episodes. We talked about mild sleep apnea, I believe in episode five, more significant sleep apnea, sleep apnea treatments. We've talked about snoring. Sleep apnea is often, sleep apnea often presents as insomnia, meaning that I don't see a lot of patients who come and say, hey, I'm struggling because I wake up to catch my breath a lot during the night. What they'll tell you is, I just wake up a lot. I have trouble getting back to sleep. I have trouble getting to sleep. And it's a really interesting perception that happens there because a lot of times if the partner's with them, they will have a completely different take on the whole situation. He falls asleep immediately. They never wake up during the night. They're always sleeping. You know, she, you know, I don't know what she's talking to you about. I don't see anything that she's describing to you. There was actually a study in 2010 um, in psychiatry investigations called a case of obstructive sleep apnea syndrome presenting as paradoxical insomnia. 
And this is important. So this was an individual, it was a woman who came and said, look, um, I'm struggling to sleep. It takes me two to three hours to fall asleep every night. Her subjective sleep time was less than three hours. So she's telling the doctor, you know, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm lucky if I get three hours and never sleep beyond three hours. Even though she's spending eight hours in bed, she was reporting near constant awareness of her surroundings while she's lying in bed. So let's take a beat and think about that story in a primary care doctor's office and what's going to happen. I don't sleep. I'm lucky if I get three hours. I'm constantly awake during the night. She was heavy. She had high blood pressure, I believe, if I remember the case. So most likely that individual is probably going to get some sort of sleeping pill. You know, maybe even something, let's let's say they get clonopin, a benzodiazepine, kind of like Valium, you know. So not only is the drug you're getting affecting your sleep negatively, and we've talked about that in sleep meds, but you're actually given a medic, you're being given a medication that could suppress your breathing more. And what's truly terrifying is that individual might follow up with that doctor when the doctor says, how are things going? They might tell you better because they're sedated faster. They're less aware of awakening, right? Because that medication might be impairing their ability to wake up, to catch their breath. That's sleep apnea, right? You can breathe or you can sleep, but you just can't do both at the same time. Well, What's happening now is you're suppressing that arousal to catch your breath with the medication and quote unquote, solving the problem. But you're also putting them very much closer to suffocation and death. So we have to be very careful about that. So the sleep study was done and it showed that she slept 359 minutes. So if it was 360 minutes, that's six hours. That's almost double what she's telling you that she's getting. Took her 13 minutes to fall asleep. And she was averaging 74.6 breathing problems per hour. So we did an episode a while back about paradoxical insomnia. And that's important because paradoxical insomnia, to refresh your, your memory, is insomnia where you think you're sleeping, but you actually you think you're not sleeping, but you actually are. That was episode 20. That's an important episode if you've got insomnia. So this was sleep apnea presenting as paradoxical insomnia. Number three, restless leg syndrome. Uh, there was a study, it was a, a paper in 2004, severe restless leg syndrome presenting as intractable insomnia. This is another one where people often come and say, I can't sleep. My sleep is terrible. I, it takes me a while to fall asleep. I wake up and can't get back to sleep. Much more often in my experience than people coming in saying, I've got restless leg. And so not recognizing the restless leg, not asking questions about restless leg. Do you have trouble sitting quietly in the evening? Do you feel an, an, an urge to get up and move around? Do you struggle you know, primarily at night, but it doesn't really affect you that much during the day? Do certain medications make it worse? So you know, asking questions about restless leg or doing your own research, look up a paper or look up a website about restless leg, get some information about it. For a lot of people who have it, they read it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is describing me. So instead of, again, taking the drug for insomnia, you more closely and targetedly go towards the condition that's causing your sleep problem, meaning you're taking a medication now for restless leg and it's helping you initiate and maintain sleep much better. Because again, a lot of those people who have restless leg have the periodic limb movements we've talked about as well too.
Number four, narcolepsy, which we've also talked about on several episodes on the show. Episode 26 was uh, the rare sleep disorder that isn't. Narcolepsy, when you think about what it is, we have five features, excessive sleepiness, sleep paralysis, hypnopompic or hypnagogic hallucinations, cataplexy, and the fifth characteristic that you often see is fragmented sleep. So again, let's pretend, let's all put on our primary care doctor's hats and a patient comes into your room. I am exhausted. I am falling asleep at work. I fall asleep during pretenders concerts. I fall asleep when I'm driving. Wow. Tell me more about your sleep. Well, you know, get in bed. It takes me a while to fall asleep. I wake up a lot during the night. My sleep's very fragmented and very poor. Aha. So now the primary care doctor starts thinking, I know what this, I know what we need to do here. We need to do something to make sure you fall asleep faster and stay asleep better because it's the lack of sleep that's causing you to be so excessively sleepy. So the narcolepsy patient who at their core is excessively sleepy is now getting a medication to knock themselves out at night and prevent the you know, fragmentation of the sleep, which is not at all what we want to do with patients with narcolepsy. It's actually quite opposite in a lot of situations. So you can see how narcolepsy can be a very confusing picture to a primary care doctor. I All I do is sleep, except when it's time to sleep, then I struggle to sleep. Well, that's kind of strange. Like all I want to do is eat until I sit down at a table with food and then I'm not that hungry. So it's, it's a very confusing picture in a lot of ways. Parasomnia, as we've talked about a lot on this show, we just talked about, I think we've talked about sleep uh, related moaning. We've talked about, uh, which was uh, catathrenia episode 30. Uh, we've talked about REM sleep behavior disorder, uh, nightmare disorder, sleepwalking. I mean, we've talked about a lot of these episodes on the show. So for a lot of individuals, that fragmentation of the sleep can present as something that kind of feels like insomnia, that they're not sleeping well, taking their while to fall asleep. Uh, menopause, which we talked about in episode three, is a very important cause of insomnia or cause of something that can resemble that. And so I won't belabor that, but I think for as an uh, older woman goes through the, the change and, and is having those things kind of happen to her, sleep disturbances and sleep functions kind of fall apart uh, for a lot of individuals. And so understanding treatments that might be helpful, hormone replacement therapy, you know, really partnering with somebody who can really be your 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 ally in that in that quest for for better sleep, I think is really important. I'll throw in there number seven, pregnancy. Uh, just because I, I'll tell you a story when I was working with a, I was working with a soccer team uh, of women's soccer team. And I was talking to a, a young woman who said she's always been a great sleeper, but recently her sleep had just become a disaster. And it was really strange to me. I was asking her new drugs that you're taking uh, new training regimen, new matter. We were all over the place. She's like, nothing's changed. My life is exactly that. And really didn't seem particularly stressed by it. There was a lot of anxiety that went along with it. We went so, through some of these pretenders, like again, drugs, do you snore? Could there be sleep apnea going? Do your legs feel restless? And you know, so I'd kind of put together some more testing that I wanted to do. And then two days later, found out from the club that she was pregnant. And I'll tell you, that was not on my list of things to check. I learned a very valuable lesson that day. I'm so used to working with male athletes. It's just, 
it wasn't at the top of my differential and it really should have been. So anybody of childbearing potential, childbearing years who struggle with their sleep, think about pregnancy as potentially one of those causes. And pregnancy can cause insomnia in a lot of different ways. It worsens restless leg syndrome. It can create breathing disturbances, discomfort and pain. So lots of mechanisms through which pregnancy could cause insomnia. Uh, seizures, I'm not going to go into heavily, but I, there are individuals who have nocturnal seizures, sometimes only at night. And those seizures are kind of par paradoxical in nature and can be baffling until somebody figures out, oh, I wonder if this person might be having sort of nocturnal seizures more often in children, but you know, certainly could happen in individuals of any age, depending on the pathology. So something to throw out there, especially if somebody's saying, look, I've had sporadic seizures in my life during the day. Perhaps they're having lots of them at night, but just a few during the day. So something to consider an EEG um, and being worked up by an epileptologist is, is not hard. Along those same lines of, of what we would call paroxysmal, things that happen and then don't. There are not many things in medicine that are paroxysmal. You get it, then it goes away. You get it, then it goes away. Seizure is a great one. I'm normal, then I had a seizure, and then it went away. You know, stroke could be one, but another one that might cause uh, problems or something that looks like insomnia is headache. In particular, cluster headache, which almost exclusively happens to individuals when they're sleeping. Um, and usually start about an, you know, 90 minutes into the sleep cycle, the individual is awakened with a severe headache, you know, often surrounding one eye. There's a lot of you know, tearing and nasal discharge. And then they happen for a cluster of time, every night for a period of several weeks or a month or something, and then they go away. And they can be very, very problematic to diagnose. They're kind of elusive in a lot of ways. So if you've ever awakened in pain or had any kind of concerns about headache, looking up cluster headache, if you're somebody who struggles to sleep at night, can be very helpful to, to get people that are taking care of you on the right track. Uh, there was a great article um, in neurology clinics from 2012 called sleep-related headaches, if you're interested in more information about that. Number 10, gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD. Individuals, you know, having reflux causing them to wake up. This can happen in, in individuals of any age. And if you think about it, when you're sitting upright, gravity does a lot of the work of keeping our stomach contents in our stomach. As we start to recline, now we're sort of got, we've got our esophagus and our stomach on an equal plane. And we talked a little about on the, on the episode about sleeping positions. We talked a little about GERD, but this is another one that can be very uh, hard to diagnose in some people that the GERD is actually what's waking people up during the night. All right. Halfway through, we're on the back half here. Number 11, bipolar and mania. So particularly when individuals are in a manic phase and whenever you talk about sleep deprivation, I always say, you know, it's impossible not to sleep. There's always somebody in the audience who raises their hand. Well, but what about mania? I would say it's still a true statement, but yes, patients who are manic can kind of have more Herculean sort of periods of time where they're not sleeping. So I think it's important to, to look at that if somebody's saying, look, it was a great sleeper, then all of a sudden for the past three days is not sleeping. There's often a lot of other clues that are going along with the individual who is manic and not sleeping. I remember 
you know, some article or something where some guy had kind of figured out a way he thought that he could communicate with fish and was trying to figure that out. So it's usually, hey, you know, Jacob, what are you up to? Well, you know, I've been up for the last three days trying to figure out how to communicate with the fish in my tank. I think I'm onto something here. You know, again, there's often sort of clues of erratic behavior, grandiose ideas, a lot of spending of money, people staying up late and buying stuff online. You know, so there's often some other things that might go along with that. But I think bipolar should be in there. And there was another, if you want to read a good uh article about that with kind of a good case study postgraduate medicine this was an article from 1996 called insomnia as a presenting symptom of mania number 12 shift work i think again shift work can cause insomnia but sort of the back and forth i work 7a to 7p then 7p to 7a I'm not necessarily certain that that's as much insomnia as it is a circadian disruption. So you could throw jet lag in there if somebody was blind, something we call non-24. So there's you know the whole circadian array of disorders that we've talked about on the show before could be the presenting sign of insomnia. Uh, number 13, dementia is often a real problem for individuals um, that, you know, particularly uh, when they get out of their own elements, uh, sundowning, they may be sleeping excessively during the day. So when it's time to sleep at night, they're not particularly sleepy. So uh, thinking about that, Parkinson's disease is another one as well, too. If you think about patients with Parkinson's disease, they're lacking dopamine, the cells in substantia nigra are dying out, they're not making as much dopamine. So they're often very sleepy individuals, they're tired. But because they're kind of shuffling around and falling asleep during the day, they may actually be you know, kind of fragmenting their sleep at night. So that can be a problem as well too. And another mention I'm gonna throw out there with Parkinson's disease is the medications that we use to help with Parkinson's disease are typically boosting dopamine. And one of the effects of that is it helps them move around better. So when you look at a patient with Parkinson's disease, movement or bradykinesia is a huge problem uh, to the point where they can often almost be frozen. So if you think about the night, they go to bed and now they're going to go eight hours without taking medication typically. So a Parkinson's disease patient waking up later in the night off of their medications can have significant difficulties moving around. Um, so think about the memory foam, very fluffy mattress that you kind of sink into. And we kind of take it for granted that, okay, we're uncomfortable on our back, we'll roll to our side or vice versa. But if you've ever slept on a really plush mattress it, it, and you're used to a firm, it can take some effort. <laughs> You're like sleeping on a marshmallow kind of thing. So if you're already having difficulty with your mobility because the medication that helps you with that is wearing off, Parkinson's patients can kind of get stuck in very uncomfortable positions and find it very difficult to move around or even get up to go do something and go to the bathroom or, or whatnot. So there's a lot of things that go along with Parkinson's disease, including the medications are often taken that can be problematic for their sleep. And for patients with Parkinson's disease, they're often going to have a fair amount of restless leg, periodic limb movements that we talked about with number three, just because of the lack of dopamine, those two conditions often kind of go hand in hand. Uh, number 15 is pain. Just pain in general often affects sleep. And we get into these rock hard place situations of, well, we can treat the pain, but these medications, like we talked about with number one, might negatively affect the value and the restorative nature of sleep. Uh, pain medications often highly exacerbate sleep apnea, like we were talking about. So 
pain is a really, really difficult thing to sort out in the face of sleep. Itching, which I think is a really interesting one. A lot of patients say, I itch at night. It could be dry skin. Are you moisturizing when you get out of the shower? You know, not just when you go to bed, but you know, earlier and throughout the day. Great article that just came out in 2023, psoriatic insomnia, a subjective and objective sleep evaluation. So I thought that was really interesting in the sense that I've never really thought about Sorry, you know, psoriasis or something of that nature causing itching enough to create um, insomnia. And so it's even got its own sort of term now, psoriatic insomnia. Uh, number 17 is irritable bowel syndrome. And we don't need to get too heavily into all the different things that could cause insomnia. Uh, with IBS, but you can imagine there's a certain degree of pain, getting up to go to the bathroom, uh, of that, things of that nature could all be sort of problematic for these individuals. Uh, number 18, encephalitis, which I think is really uh, fascinating. Encephalitis is sort of inf inflammation of the covering of the brain. It's not a good thing to have. Uh, it can come about through a lot of different ways, but there's a pediatric uh, article that came out not too long ago called autoimmune encephalitis in children and update. And, and when you look at those individuals, uh, insomnia can be a sort of presenting feature of, of that disorder. Uh, number 19, spectrum disorders. Uh, there was a, a study called, uh, it was in uh, current psychiatry reports from 2017, sleep in children with autism spectrum disorder. Uh, insomnia in children with autism, and I'm reading from the study, insomnia with children with autism spectrum disorder occurs across all cognitive levels, and the prevalence may be as high as 60 to 86%, which is two to three times greater than typically developing, um, the, typically develop or neurotypical children. Um, so it's a much higher incidence in, in those individuals. And they come up with a bunch of different theories for why that could be. Is it brainwave organizational changes and maturational changes, uh, circadian relevant genes that are being expressed or not expressed in these individuals, abnormal melatonin production, uh, and finally arousal and sensory dysregulation. So these are all things that you might see in, in individuals uh, with these disorders. And then finally, for number 20, I'm going to put on there anxiety, I think is a very important one in the sense that I think for a lot of individuals who are struggling with anxiety, it can actually not only facilitate and lead to true insomnia, like what we've talked about before on the show quite a bit, but I also think that insomnia often lends itself to a fairly radical misperception or paradoxical insomnia for, for a lot of individuals. So, you know, often treating the insomnia, particularly when the insomnia is sort of focused on sleep, can be very helpful in understanding that the insomnia is not a separate problem, but really sort of tied into the insomnia, the, the anxiety that the individual is, just, is, is suffering from. So that's it, uh, 20 diagnoses that might be the key to getting out from under insomnia or what feels like insomnia for you. If you have any uh, items or diagnoses that I've missed, uh, please let me know, drchriswinner 
on Twitter, DR on Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, wherever you're at. Uh, please uh, take a look at my books, The Sleep Solution, Why Sleep's Broken, How to Fix It, as well as The Rested Child. As always, I really appreciate subscriptions to this podcast. I would love it um, uh, if you took the time to do a review of the podcast. That's always very appreciated. We will post these episodes on our YouTube Sleep Unplugged page. In the meantime, uh, take a listen to The Pretenders. I would highly recommend their first four albums. They're really outstanding. And until we speak again, sleep well.